This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Some years ago, a preacher was taking pictures of several groups of people in a church auditorium. In the dim light, it was a bit difficult to focus on the camera, uh, the, to focus the camera properly. People were scattered across the whole front of the auditorium, and he couldn't find a person or an object in the right place for the center of focus. Finally, somebody suggested, Preacher, focus on the cross, and everything will come out all right. I think that's a good advice for all of us. Focus on the cross, and that's what I want to do this morning in these, mes- in these minutes of this sermon. Sometimes the cross seems rather remote, quite distant from us. We're accustomed to it. We see the cross every Sunday when we come to this place of worship. Many other churches have a cross in a prominent position in their church. Some people wear ornamental crosses as a necklace or a lapel pin. I'm not opposed to that. The cross stands as a symbol and a witness to the eternal love of God, which put Jesus, his son, on the cross. But how often do we hide from our conscious thinking the grim reality of that crude, cruel, old, rugged cross? If we're not careful, after 2,000 years of seeing the cross as a symbol of our faith, It will mean nothing more to us than a symbol. We need to come back and see the cross in its original setting. Throughout the entire life of Jesus, the cross loomed as a shadow across all that he did and said. We see the shadow of the cross against this background of the scene of Jesus' humble birth. You know the story. The wise men came bearing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gold was a royal gift, signifying Jesus' kingship. Frankincense, a fragrant gum resin burned as incense, denoted his future priesthood. But look at that third gift, myrrh. This was an aromatic, orange-colored resin, which was quite expensive. It was used in perfumes, anointing oil, medicine, and in embalming. The shadow of the cross was thus falling across the birth of Jesus, as he would later be offered wine mixed with myrrh. Mark 15, 23 tells us about that. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And then when they came and took the body of Jesus down from the cross, he was buried with this same substance, John 19.39 tells us, And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. As wonderful and thrilling as the birth of Jesus was, the shadow of the cross fell across that event. Move forward a few years. During his years of early childhood, Jesus knew what it meant to see the shadow of the cross on his path. Life was not easy for him. 
Although he was conceived in his virgin mother's womb by the overshadowing presence of God's Holy Spirit, the people of his day considered Jesus to be illegitimate. He was subjected to scorn and ridicule. The eternal Son of God who shared in the creation of the heavens and the earth, who participated in the flinging of the stars into the heavens, whose power kindled the sun, and hung the moon in its orbit, who shared in taking the dust of the earth to make the first man, and whose power kept the universe and keeps the universe running in proper order, the same Jesus gave up all that heavenly glory to be born in a tiny stable in Bethlehem. To say that he stooped to our level is quite an understatement of what really happened. His birth in human form was humiliation enough. But now follow him further as the shadow of the cross falls over his life during his ministry. At a very critical point when his disciples had begun to realize that Jesus was truly the Messiah, he began to teach them that he was going to Jerusalem to die. Those who followed him tried to persuade him to turn aside from such thoughts, but he rebuked them and pushed on toward his date with destiny on the cross. This was really what he had come to do. Mark 10, 45, quotes Jesus who said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus seemed to view his death on the cross as the crowning achievement of his life but his disciples just couldn't seem to understand. Move now with me into the very shadow of the cross with Jesus into those last few days before his death. He was warmly acclaimed by many as a king when he rode into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey on that day, that day we know as Palm Sunday. Many people who shouted Hosanna as he entered the city the word Hosanna literally means save now. This is what they wanted. One who would come and be their earthly king. One who would save them now from Roman oppression. It would not be long, of course, before others, maybe even some of these same people, would be shouting again, but in a far different tone, as Jesus was leaving Jerusalem with a cross on his back headed for Skull Hill, Golgotha, to give his life. It was Passover time in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus wanted so much to celebrate the Passover one more time with his disciples. This celebration was one which reminded the Jews every year of that night long ago when the death angel, the angel of the Lord, passed over his people down in Egypt. The death angel took the firstborn of every household except the Jewish households where the blood of the sacrificial lamb had been smeared on the doorposts. The Jews had solemnly observed this memorial of deliverance every year since their Egyptian captivity had ended. On that night in Jerusalem, Jesus sat at the table with his disciples and instituted a new memorial of deliverance. This ceremony would mark an even greater deliverance 
than that from captivity in Egypt. This meal would be something to remind people of the deliverance from sin. And so Jesus took the bread and the wine and he said, do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a vivid reminder of the cross and of the sacrifice Jesus made for you and me. As Jesus observed this meal with his disciples, the shadow of the cross was deepening over him moment by moment. That shadow intensified as the hours before his death wore on. He took his followers to the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. He took Peter, James, and John with him into the garden where he prayed while they slept. As he came out and received the kiss of betrayal from Jesus, and then he went through the mockery of illegal trials, and he endured being beaten, cursed, spit on, stripped naked, and finally nailed to the cross. And as he hung there on the cross, enduring untold agony, he took the full sting of sin and death in his own body. He was bearing the sin of the world. The shame heaped on him in those final hours was indescribable. The torture and the agony of his suffering was accented by the raving, jeering mob which seemed to delight in seeing him suffer. And during all this time, Jesus kept on praying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And finally, after hours of hanging there, Jesus breathed his last gasp of air and said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And with this cry, the agony of the cross was all over. Now what does all this mean to you? Is it just something that happened a long time ago? Or does the shadow of the cross fall across your life too? There's a religious drama which has its setting during the days when Jesus lived in Palestine. The play opens on a scene in the living room of a carpenter's house. The family, the husband, the wife, and two children are enjoying a quiet evening together. The mother reports that when she was in the marketplace that day, she had seen a notice posted by the Roman government inviting carpenters to submit model crosses and a bid for the contract to supply crosses for the local executions. The husband, however, was not the least bit interested in making crosses or executions. He was a proud craftsman. He liked to think of his work as bringing happiness and joy to people. He did not want to make an instrument of death. And then his wife began to urge and finally to nag saying that they could use the extra money. They could buy so many things they needed. And so finally the husband gave in and agreed to submit a model cross and a bid, but he really hoped he would not get the contract. Some years passed. The man got the contract, 
Now their little boy is 10 or 12 years old. He works in the carpenter shop helping his father. One day, this little boy came running into the house crying as though his heart would break. His father and mother gathered around him asking why he was so upset. He told them that he had just seen a mob of people taking Jesus out to be crucified. This boy's parents were sad too on hearing this news because they had heard Jesus teach and preach. They were greatly impressed by him. Trying to console his son, the father said, Son, you have seen other criminals crucified. Why are you so upset over this one? But Daddy, you don't understand, sobbed the little boy. They are going to crucify Jesus on the cross that we made right here in our shop. Oh, son, said the father, you don't know that. Lots of other carpenters make crosses too. We have no way of knowing that that cross is ours. But daddy, I know that it was the cross we made, the boy persisted. How do you know that, son? asked the father. The little boy explained, Daddy, do you remember when the man came to talk with you about new cabinets for his kitchen last week? While you were outside talking to him, I was just looking at the cross we were making. It was When it was just about finished, I was so proud of the work that I had done. I thought I would do as the great artists and sign my name on it somewhere. Daddy, when Jesus was carrying that big heavy cross, he was having a hard time with it. He was all bruised and bleeding from the things they had done to him. And Daddy, Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. He fell right in front of me. And when he fell, I could see my name was on that cross he was carrying. My name was on that cross. Did you know that in a real sense, your name was on Jesus' cross? And mine was too. Romans 5, 8 says, God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Martin Luther came to realize for the first time what a sacrifice Jesus Christ had made for his salvation, he was overcome with emotion. His fellow monks found him in his little room in the monastery, sobbing, for me, for me. Some of you know that I served as pastor of a church here in Myrtle Beach for 16 years before I came here to Ocean Lakes as minister. We built a new sanctuary while I was there. And not long after we moved into our new sanctuary, we had a man who visited our church one Sunday. His name was Major Malcolm Webster. At that time, he was an officer in the Salvation Army from Toronto, Canada. While he was here in Myrtle Beach, he experienced something that he later told me about on a subsequent visit. Then a few months ago, I received in the mail after that a copy of their national magazine, which is called The War Cry. In this magazine, there was an article by Major Webster in which he told about what he experienced on his first visit at our church here in Myrtle Beach. 
this, uh, these are his words. A lovely church building, which we had visited while on holidays. The back was dominated by a large wooden cross. Looking at the cross, it was interesting to note that the placement of the floodlights caused the cross to project a shadow on either side. There were now three crosses. How like Calvary, I thought. The other two crosses, or rather those who hung on those crosses, in some way represent the whole of humanity. We either echo the one who cried, Save thyself and us, or the other who in penitence cried, Lord, remember me. Yes, the shadow of the cross of Jesus falls on your life and on my life this morning. Your name is on that cross, and so is mine. What is your response to what Jesus has done for you? Father, we know that the best response we could make is found in the words of that hymn that we know. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what we want to give you right now, Father. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.